What's up, everyone? Welcome to Next Fix Podcast. We are here for episode four, and this episode is going to be called The Cost of the Fentanyl Crisis. I think um, it's super important that we are able to share um, all kinds of stories, including um, those that don't end um, with treatment and recovery, because that is a vast and um, a raw reality of addiction. Um, and so today I have two special guests. This is a first time for Next Fix. We actually have two people here. Um, one is my best friend's little sister, Tamara. And then we have Isabel, who is her best friend. Um, both, unfortunately, have lost a loved one to a to an overdose. And... Um, I know you reached out to me um, shortly after I launched my podcast to say um, not only to congratulate me, but to um, have a moment of um, honesty, you know, and um, you lost the father of your children. How many months ago? Four months, about to be five. About to be five months ago to an accidental um, fentanyl overdose. Yes. and we'll we'll break down kind of more of of Trent's um, how that all happened, and then Isabel, you lost your brother yeah. Nick to an overdose as well. Yes. Okay. Um, so again, you know, um, it's I think the name of the episode speaks for itself. Uh, this is the cost mm-hmm. of the fentanyl crisis, um, because as I've I've said many times, I am blessed to had made it to the other side of addiction. Right. Yeah. So I spent a long time in addiction and then was able to make it to this to the recovery side. The raw reality and the unfortunate reality of addiction is sometimes our addictions grip on us is so strong that no matter how much love, no matter how much um, prayer and and want and drive that our loved ones have for us, it, it's it's that isn't enough right? right and so um today we're going to discuss that and and really go into it um i'm kind of you know this is definitely like a curveball like i said this is a next fix first to have two people um <laughs> on at the same time so it's a little bit different but i think that you know like pre uh pre-recording you know we were kind of over here just kind of laughing and carrying on and i find that um you know sometimes when we talk about tragic things humor and, and laughter is a therapy and, and almost a, a way to oh yeah to deal with it right yeah for sure like dark humor for sure for me. oh yeah a lot of dark humor yeah. and then just every day because i feel like i'm just laughing throughout the day yeah and just like not thinking about life and like reality yeah and, and sometimes it's okay to um you know to do that yeah but i think that we also still have to acknowledge that we have to process it you know and um I think when you and I were were texting and messaging, um, that it was a lot of, um, you know, there's bad days. Oh, for sure. Like a lot of guilt, for sure. I'm still getting rid of the guilt, but a lot of like dark days. Like at first I couldn't even get out of bed. Like it was so bad to the point where like I was just crying all day. And then like my friends would like be calling me, making sure I'm good because obviously when you lose someone that's like such a big part of your life it's it like hits you and everyone saw how downhill I went like it was bad and like every day I tell Isabel like I'm still working on 
trying to live without Trent because I was so used to having him in my life. He was a big part of my life. So like, obviously he was a father of my kids. So that's a big part of my life there. And then not having that anymore. It's like, now I'm a single mom, 23 years old with a three and five year old. So it's hard to adjust, but like having friends and family that are supportive and being there for you is like the most important thing. Yeah. She had to drag me out of the house. When was that last week? Yeah. My brother passed September of 2021. So it's been a little bit over two years, but his uh, birthday was January 17th. And after that, like I just got so depressed and like I didn't leave my bed for three days. And she literally was like, I'm coming. We're pi- I'm picking you up. We're going to go to the forest preserve. And like as soon as we got there, I was like, I really needed this. Like I like you don't understand like how much I needed this right now. So, you know, I think it's also important to um, emphasize that addiction doesn't only affect the addict, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Especially when it comes to a fatality, you know, to where we don't make it to the other side of addiction. Um, Our family members and our loved ones, our friends, um, our significant others are left to, you know, pick up those pieces. Um, So... For sure. You know, like there are those days, you know, birthdays, the anniversaries, um, holidays, all of those things um, are a raw moment in time that happens every year. Right. Right. So, um, okay, So, yeah, I would think that we'll uh, start with you. And um, so tell us tell us about Trent. Tell it, you know, and, and I think it's important from my perspective as a person that is in recovery that battled with addiction that we destigmatize addiction mm-hmm. and that we humanize the person exactly. right yeah. we humanize the issue but also humanize the person because we're not born you know what i'm saying like things no, happen perfect. and it yeah. and it leads up to it yeah and there are happy times so yeah just kind of like break down um you know you and trent and um We'll not quite go all the way to the end, you know. All right. So Trent and I met at B-dubs. I was 17. He was 18. Um, And it's funny because when I met him, I was like, you know what? That's going to be my future baby daddy. And then three months later, it happened. (laughs) I did not know that. At a young age. So here you're going to be a young mom. Yeah. So um, we were only three months dating, like three months in dating. And then I found out I was pregnant on April Fool's. So it was wasn't a joke. Wow. It was not a joke. <laughs> Baby's not a joke. <laughs> um it was hard because I mean it was scary. I was only 17. I was a senior in high school. I'm like how the hell am I going to do this? Like and then Trent was also scared because I mean who isn't scared when you're that young and about to be a parent. Um but I couldn't finish school because obviously I was so sick like I couldn't get out of bed. So I I went in like eight months pregnant to school um and finished one course and then I got my diploma but um basically with Trent um we had a rough patch I would say um it was hard because we were still trying to get to know each other because we were only three months together but like I felt like he was my best friend like I went through so much with him um having a child so young I feel like he was there when I was dealing with a lot, but also we argued a lot. It was not perfect. I'm not going to front and be like, oh, he was the problem. It 
no relationship is perfect. Um, I feel like once we had Sav, I feel like that kind of, it kind of um, opened our eyes, like, holy shit, we have to grow up now. Like, we, I feel like once I had Sav, I, I had to grow up. But, like, Trent was also, um, he was trying to grow up, but also not ready, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, was, sure, you're 17 and 18 years old, and now you have a mouth to feed, a, a full-on responsibility. This isn't a, you know, right. like you picked up an extracurricular activity. Right. Like this little human is fully your responsibility. So, yeah. and that puts a pause on all the things that normal 18, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids are doing. Yeah, right. like I had really bad postpartum depression with Sav. So I didn't really open up about it because I was like, holy shit, like, a lot of people are already judging me by having a kid so young. Like, imagine if everyone found out I was depressed just having, like, a newborn baby. Like, I was scared to open up about it. I feel like I didn't talk about it. So I feel like that also, like, was taking a toll on me and my relationship with Trent because I was so just exhausted because, I mean, I wasn't living with Trent. It was just me by myself. So he would come and help sometimes, but it was mostly me doing all the work. Um... I lived with him, I would say, for about three months because my mom went to Mexico. So he stayed with me and the girls because so I didn't get to that point. So we had another child, um, got pregnant at so I got pregnant at 17, had Sava at 18 and then got pregnant at 19, had her at 20. So it was back to back. Um, it was hard for us because have it I mean getting pregnant a second time I feel like everyone was just like holy shit like I we didn't expect it my mom my parents were really pissed off because I mean they were like Trent's not helping you as much as he should so like why would you get pregnant again um and I feel like that's also why postpartum hit so much because I'm like I I want all the support from Trent, but like he wasn't around as much. I feel like I did most of the work on my own. Um, and everyone knows, like I busted my ass for my kids since the day they were born. And I feel like knowing Trent, um, I, sorry, I'm gonna get emotional. It's okay. Um, I feel like now looking back, he did struggle a lot because he also lost his dad to suicide. Um, so it was hard because I mean, he lost his dad and then becoming a dad, he was like, I'm, I don't like, I'm still grieving my dad. Like I, I want to be the best dad I can, but it's also hard because I'm grieving my dad and I'm still thinking about my dad and all this stuff. So I feel like that also hit home for him. Like he, I don't know. It just, it was hard for him for sure because I think the loss of his dad really hurt him like that was his best friend so he would tell me all the time that was my best friend I lost my best friend so um it was hard for him to be there when Sad was born but I feel like once Milena was born um obviously another eye-opener but um it's um sorry it's um I don't know. It just, it was hard, um, just being young parents and having the stress of like, 
putting food on the table, having a place to live. Like I had to pay rent by myself. Trent wouldn't help me. Um, towards the end, um, he was helping me, but it was hard to open his eyes for sure. Um, I would fight with him all the time. I mean, he called me crazy a lot because I mean, I was a crazy baby mama because I wanted the best for him and I wanted him to be the best father he could be, which he was, but I just, when I found out what he was doing, um, it's like, I didn't know towards the end what he was truly doing, but I know he had problems with um, pills and alcohol. Um, and he obviously opened up about it to me. Um, and I saw it too with my own eyes. Like he um, would drink a lot when I was, when we were together. Um, we broke up um, a couple months later once um, Milena was born because um, my mom was, my mom came back from Mexico from when he was living with me because my mom was like, you can stay here. Um, and then you guys can see how it works with you guys living together because we had never lived together. So he was always like coming, coming whenever he wanted to, or like I would ask him to come over to help with the kids or he would just sleep over. Like he never actually truly lived with me. So that three months, it was an eye opener for sure because we fought a lot. Um, he was, I mean, you guys were kids. Yeah. So I, I, I think that, I think that's a, you have kids, you know, raising it's kids, kids, raising kids, yeah. kids, raising kids. And I think that, you know, I mean, it's understandable. I, I mean, I know people that are in their twenties, thirties and their forties that fight with their significant others every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and then to add children on top of that, um, add that y'all didn't really experience life. Mm -hmm. Um, yet you kind of went from high school to parent. Well, not kind of, you did, you went yeah. from high school to being parents, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a, a an important thing. And we're gonna get into more of like the discovery of Trent's addiction and obviously, you know, into what led up to his um, untimely yeah. death. Um, but Isabel, we'll jump over to you. Tell us about Nick. Okay, so Nick's my brother. Um, so you're older or younger brother? Younger, he was the youngest out of the four of us. Um, yeah, we just had a really terrible childhood, and I think all of that is the cause of him. It was learned behavior because our father is an addict, was and is an addict. Okay. Um, and, yeah, he, like I said, he passed two years ago. Um, but it was hard because he was struggling for about two years. Well, it started when he was in, like, I would say, like, high school or, like, a young teenager. It started with, like, the Xanax and then... Come to f and then like he got more into the other stuff and then it just got bad like fast and then yeah two years later he overdosed okay and how old was he when he when he passed away he was 20 20 yeah and how old was trent 24 24 so you know um in a bit of you know for a reprieve us those are two people that I didn't even fuck with their socks off yet. That's my favorite saying for a youngin is, you know, yeah. you're not even old enough to have fucked with your socks right. off yet yeah. right. to, to think that, you know, and I think it's important, you know, to highlight something you said is about, um, the, uh, childhood, yeah. you know, I, I've talked about on this, on my podcast, childhood trauma is such a factor yeah. 
Um, because honestly, I believe I'm not a doctor. I'm not any of that. So let's not, you know, say that this is scientific here, but I believe that people that have super traumatic, um, uh, childhoods go one of two ways, right? You steer, you either steer completely away from whatever you experience, whether that be domestic violence. So you're not one that is, that engages in domestic yeah. arguments, fights, and that kind of stuff, because that's what you saw growing up. You're like, absolutely not, could never be like yeah. that. And I or you become an abuser, right? Or you become the aggressor. Yeah. Same thing with somebody that, you know, I grew up in a house where my dad was an alcoholic, you right. know, um, and he was abusive. I didn't pick up the that aggression part, um, but I did pick up, you know, the wanting to drink and thinking that it was cool. And it always starts like that, right? Started with Xanax because everybody else was doing it, right? Right, right. Um, going back to what you said about like the whole childhood thing is like, I always like tell people, I was like, I feel like Nick never had a chance in life because I think I was like three or four. So he had to be two to three when our dad got bad and it was domestic violence, like seeing a lot of things that children should never see or go through and being exposed to that at a young age. And my parents didn't get divorced until a couple months after he passed because my mom finally divorced him. But um, yeah, I always just say he never had a chance. Um, my dad was, is um, an addict, but I feel like my mom did more mental trauma to us because she didn't protect us and she was verbally abusive to us. Um, yeah, so he just, and he, he struggled in school. He definitely had a little bit of like a disability, like a learning disability. So I feel like a lot of people like use that against him and he just met the wrong people and they took advantage of him. So it started with his family and then the people he met. I feel like that's the big issue too. Like um, meeting, like Trent was the same way. Like he had great friends, like childhood friends. And then all of a sudden it switched up. And I noticed that's what like m mainly our arguments were about were because he was hanging out with the people he was hanging out with. Um, or he would come home late at night when I was watching the kids by myself. Um, he would stay out till like 3 a.m. And then some days he would be like sleeping in his car outside. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I didn't realize it was that bad. Um, I didn't even realize it was an issue until my mom came back and she was like, you can't be living like this every day. Like we were fighting nonstop every day. And I was like, I need to do this for myself and my kids because they can't be seeing this every single day. Like, um, he would be sleeping all day and then I would be with the kids. So it was like so hard on me because I mean, I would be with them at night and then I would be with like, basically just how, how a parent should be like 24 seven nonstop. But like Trent was like, going out with friends. I couldn't go out with friends. I was home with the kids. I barely could go out with friends. So I think that's a lot where my anger came from too, because I mean, he was out with friends. I couldn't, I had to be a mom. And I mean, when he was around, he was a great father. I can't say he wasn't, but also, yeah, like I get where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah. And I think, you know, it also is about, um, uh, you know, Everybody, your kids. Yeah. Nick's a kid, you know, and, and when you go as a person that grew up in a traumatic home and, and um, 
had to deal with child, you know, like that stuff that, you know, now I can call childhood trauma, but that was, that was life at that point. Right. Um, so you find the group of people that are going to accept you, who, whoever you are, whatever you are, you know? Um, and now did his group of friends change more now? Were you guys together when his dad passed away? No. So he told me like, he didn't want to tell me at first how he passed away. Um, but he told me, um, that he passed away from suicide. Um, so I found out like a couple, like right away, like once we started dating, but like, yeah, he told me that his dad passed away, uh, 2017, I think. So 2017. Yeah. And you, you guys got together in what year? 20. So I met him 2017. So he died 2017 of February. I met him around, oh, I would say, uh, but you all met in 2017. So you're yeah. meeting the same year that his father passed yeah. away. So you're getting in a relationship. You're winding up three months into a dating talking stage. You wind up. He graduated high school, didn't he? Cause he's my age. Yeah. yeah so that's a lot. That's a lot. And then thinking so, about yeah, what you're doing after. Okay. And that's what, and that's yeah. what I'm getting at. So loses dad in early 2017, mm -hmm. uh, Meets a babe in the latter part of 2017. <laughs> Ooh, <okay>. <laughs> and <laughs> then we wind and then you wind up pregnant and life really changes yeah. because now he hasn't processed that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, and then you've also dealt with, you know, like your own like mental health yeah. besides the postpartum, like right. just your own stuff as oh, well. Yeah that compounds onto this. Yeah, I've always struggled with like depression and anxiety. Like my parents went through an ugly divorce. So we lost the house actually when I was pregnant. Um, so I actually got the notice that we were getting evicted um, when I was eight months pregnant, about to be nine months. Um, it was so, I, I couldn't even believe it. The sheriff showed up, um, put the notice on the door. I bawled my eyes out completely. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? Because now I'm getting kicked out. My mom already had, I, we knew what was going on. Like it was going to court already, but, um, getting that notice, like for sure hit because it's like, holy shit, like how the fuck am I going to do it? Because my plan was to stay here at my house and then Trent come live with me. But now it's different because I mean, his, his mom isn't going to, I mean, didn't let me go over there, but, um, I had to move in with my mom um, and then a week late, I had a week to move my shit out. I had a week to move me and the baby stuff um, and everything that was in that house. So I feel like also a lot of my anger with Trent was that um, he wasn't there to help me move all the stuff. Like my older brother, Danny, he was there. Um, my mom, like her friends and my dad was there, but like, um, I feel like them asking where's Trent, like, why isn't he helping you? And I, I just bawled my eyes out because I'm like, he should be here. I mean, I'm moving this shit by myself, um, nine months pregnant. Um, and it was hard because, you know, my family, you know how they are, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know how my dad is like, they were like, you're doing this shit by yourself. Like, it's not okay. Um, and I was always the one defending Trent because I'm like, he's going through a lot. Like I already know what he's going through. He would tell me, he would vent to me, but it's also like, I, I just, I was so angry and I, and I was bottling it up. Like I didn't want to just, um, explode on him, but like he would know I would be upset at him, but obviously 
moving out nine months pregnant, moving all my shit, having a week to move out. And then I had Savannah a week after all that. So, um, it was hard for sure because I mean, my parents' ugly divorce caused a lot of anxiety and depression for me. Um, and especially like losing the house, I feel like that was an eye opener too, because I mean, we lost everything. So it was hard for me and my mom, for sure. My dad, I mean, he was separated at the time with my mom, so he already had his own place. But, I mean, it was stressful for me and my mom. But my mom, I mean, she was my main supporter, um, for sure. When I moved in with her, she obviously would tell me, like, okay, where's Trent? Like, um, why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? Um, or my dad would say the same thing. And I think that was also what was triggering my anger. So now, yeah. So here we have this, the the component of not only are you upset because of like your own stuff that's going on you yeah. you have to move also you're pregnant and hormonal let's say that you're also 17 going on 18 years old and really don't real you know what i'm saying like this is a whole new type of life right yeah and then now you're dealing with somebody that's not quite always there or involved yeah. um that's that's a lot so um we are going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to dive more into what um trent and nick's addiction actually look like mm -hmm. and what it looked like leading up to and then obviously we'll have to touch on the unfortunate and untimely uh death of both of them um to make sure that we share the message because that's a raw reality of, yeah. of the fentanyl crisis right and i think that this isn't a this is a, a way of therapy and but it's also y'all have stories and so many people um, that are out there that could potentially watch this may not only be going through the same thing and need to see that there are better days ahead. Right. Um, but also and people that love you. Exactly. And then maybe somebody watching yeah. will yeah. maybe learn from what we didn't do, what we could have done, which I'm not blaming. No, no. But yeah, but for sure. So we're going to get all into that. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. So this is the portion where normally on um, each episode, I shout out a small business. Um, but because we um, are talking about overdoses and, um, you know, obviously two fatality overdoses, um, I think it's most appropriate that we talk about a place where someone can get some help. So I um, actually got sober in the Salvation Army's Adult Rehabilitation Center. Um, and that is hard for my community, which is the LGBTQIA plus community, because of the history with my community and the Salvation Army being a Christian-based organization. Um, but I want to say that what it was then and you know what it was back then and what it is now is completely different. And at the end of the day, it is a free six-month program um, that it's a work therapy-based program. So, right, you come to the program. It's six months long. Um, you get in there, and you do work therapy. So you work, like, in the Salvation Army stores, and it's kind of like you're working in exchange for your treatment. Um, but, you know, you get counselors, you get to really do therapy, you get to do these journals. Each level of the program has a certain amount of journals that you have to do in them. Um, those journals, I actually still have those journals from 
my, well, I turned the six month program into an eight month program. But so for anybody out there um, that has a family member that is struggling with addiction um, or is struggling with addiction themselves, and you are looking for a program that is not a 28 day program, I am not shooting down the 28 day programs. I am not um, shaming them. I just necessarily think that you need more than 28 days to um, be able to really get to the heart of why you're using, Mm -hmm. which gives you a better chance of getting sober and remaining sober. So I highly recommend for those, um, specifically because um, treatment is expensive and a lot of people don't have insurance that will cover more than 20 days or 28 day programs. So this is a free program. They are all around the country. You can get onto Salvation Army's website. You can put in Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation in a simple search engine like Google, and more than likely, it is going to pop up a bunch of locations, um, and they are all across the country. Um, I'm not for sure if they're international because Salvation Army is an international organization, um, so they very well could be an international thing. But I know here in the United States, um, there are different territories. So we're currently in the Central Territory, um, and there are multiple locations of the Adult Rehabilitation Program. I highly suggest that you look into that. Again, it is a six-month program. It's a work therapy-based program. So while you're in there getting treatment, you're also building the habits that you're going to need when you get out of treatment. And that is that you're going to have to start working, that you're going to have to have responsibility. You know, you're going to have to get up and be on time. You're going to have to be able to work the full day. There isn't, you know, like all that, you know, um, stuff. So it, it it's a multi-fold program that is really great. It saved my life. So obviously I'm going to promote it and suggest it for folks, but it's also free at the end of the day. Sure. You're doing work therapy and some would probably want to argue whether or not that is free, Mm -hmm. but it is, you know, it it beats having to show up for insurance and then having your insurance say, we're not covering this anymore. Um, You reside on site. You don't bring any clothes in. They provide your clothes for you. They provide your hygiene products for you. They provide, uh, there's dorms at each place. Um, Some dorms are really big and they have uh, a bunch of multiple beds. Some have, you know, six to 10 beds in it. It just kind of depends on the configuration of the building um, and you're there. Um, And it is a great program. So for those that are struggling with addiction and you need somewhere to go, please check out the Army, uh, the Salvation Army's uh, Adult Rehabilitation Center. Google it, find it closest to you. If a family member is and they are ready for treatment and you um, can't get them in a, you know, an insurance paid or private program, by all means, check out the Salvation Army. Now we're going to jump back into the episode um, and, you know, talk about the cost of of the fentanyl. And we kind of went over, you know, um, obviously, as I said during our break to y'all, the two of you's story when it comes to the, the people that you lost is different. Yours was a significant other and yours was a sibling. So you had a lot more, you know, to go with, you know, of, you know, getting pregnant and, you know, kind of Trent, you know, you both being young and Trent still having to process a lot of trauma around losing his father to suicide um, and then also becoming a father and then trying to also be a teenager at this point as well. And life changes, right? Yeah. 
Um, and then for Isabel, it was, you know, the childhood trauma just with inside your house and Nick being the youngest and then, you know, his learning disability in school and then just catching that wrong group of friends. Yeah, really. And sadly, sometimes that's all that it takes oh, yeah. is that you get in the wrong crowd you meet the and wrong you don't. Person. Exactly. You meet the wrong person, you meet the wrong group of people and it's your intention wasn't for the wrong reason. Right. It's like, oh, this is where I'm accepted, right? You don't know how the story is going to play out and that it's going to lead to what will eventually be an untimely death mm -hmm. and, uh, and an overdose or even just an addiction, you know, period. Yeah. That then leads to those things. Um, so, you know, you were telling me during the break um, about how you and Trent had got into it really bad and it took you to a mental space to where you actually had to go into um, a facility and it was the first time you left your kids. Um, and so, yeah, what was, you know, what was that, that night like, like, or what was that day like? Um, I feel like that day it was actually nighttime. So I had been dealing with depression bad um, that time. I really wasn't like talking to anyone about it. I wasn't, I actually stopped seeing my therapist. I stopped seeing like my psychiatrist. So like all that stuff also hit me at once. Like actually I was seeing my psychiatrist, but I wasn't seeing my therapist anymore. So that took a toll on me because like, yeah, my friends are there, but it's not therapist where you can like let shit out. Like, um, so I feel like when Trent and I got into that big fight, it led to me thinking, holy shit, I, like I, I've been, I was suicidal for a while. Like I, um, I, I have had suicidal thoughts before, but it wasn't that bad. Like that night, um, I had called my friend, I was driving around and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I like, I have all this stress, like I'm doing it all by myself. Like I'm doing most of the work. Trent's not helping me. Um, um, I was Trent using at this time. Yes. So he, I actually had found out he was doing, he was like doing Xanax gambling. Um, that's all I knew or like doing alcohol. That's drinking alcohol. That's all I knew. Um, that's so that also was a trigger for me because I'm like, I don't want to see him go down this path because it's scary for me because I mean, we have kids together and I, even though we weren't together, I will always love him no matter what. That was like my best friend. He was a big part of my life. Um, so finding out that, arguing with him about it, finding that out, and then fighting with him triggered a lot of depression for me. Um, so I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that sounds selfish of me. But it also, it's not because, I mean, I was, I had dealt with a lot of depression um suicidal thoughts for a, a long time I had to get help obviously I was in therapy um but when I found out about Trent and stuff that was really triggering for me and I feel like that night when I went into rehab um I called my best friend and I was like I can't do this anymore um I I'm having thoughts um and I just okay i was i was saying i don't want to lose my kids because that's the main thing like if you do something in front of your kids they're gonna take away your kids and i was like i'm not i don't plan on doing anything in front of my kids but 
I'm having these thoughts and I don't, if I put my kids to sleep, I don't want to be alone. And then having these thoughts, like I should do this today. Um, I should take pills and just be done. Um, I actually went into a facility before for actually, um, an overdose. Um, and that was before I met Trent. This was when I was about like 12, 13. Um, so I had dealt with depression and anxiety for a long time, like I've said before. So that night, um, my best friend's mom took me in. She was like, at first I was like, no, I have to go to work the next day. Like I can't, I'm a single mom. I can't miss work. And then she was like, girl, like, what are you doing? Like, you need to put yourself first. And I think that's my main issue. Like, everyone knows this about me. I never put myself first. Like, it's always my kids. And that's, like, a main issue. Even my therapist has told me it's an issue with me because I forget how to take care of myself. And it's a problem. Um, but, like, I feel like just having my kids, I I protect them. And I want what's best for them. Um, so... So you went into the facility. Yeah. So I, she made me, she was like, either you go or I'm calling the cops and I'm telling them what you told me and what your plan was. Um, so I, she drove me, um, my friend Katie stayed with my kids. Um, she's actually the godmother of my oldest daughter. Um, so she took me in, um, and it was hard because I was calling work, trying to figure that out. But then I was also lying to the nurse saying, oh, I'm fine. I just want to be able to go to work the next day. And then they questioned my best friend's mom. And that's when they were like, okay, either you check yourself in or the doctor that is here is going to make you stay. So, but yeah, they'll, they'll put you on a hold. Yeah. Especially if she said something about the suicide. So you go through the pro, you go through their their program or you know their facility, and um, you do all that. Um, and obviously, you know you're working and you're processing all that, mm-hmm. and you you get out. What's getting out look like as far as like, um, like are you in a better space? A first, most importantly, are you in a better space when you get out? I was, but it's also like I had to face Trent and I hadn't spoken to him when I was in the facility. I was trying to ignore him as much as possible because I feel like that was just triggering for me. Um, and how's he at this point? What's it? What's like his realm or do you not do you not know really? Um, all I know is the night that I got admitted, um, my friend Katie, obviously, she was calling him, telling like telling him what was going on. Um, he was in the city with friends. Um, she was like, Hey, can you come pick up the girls? Because I don't have clothes for them. I don't have anything here for them. I mean, I don't mind going to her house and getting stuff for them, but whatever. Um, if you can pick them up, that's great. Cause I have work the next day. He was like, I'm in the city with friends. I can't. So when I found that out, I was. So the power of addiction said, instead of me leaving the city with my friends, says i'm gonna stay and get you know and and that that's a reality of addiction yeah that's a that's a reality of uh the grip that the addiction no matter what it is has on you right because a non-addicted person or a non you know addict would have got would have said what hold on my you know even if you guys weren't on good terms right Mm -hmm. um so that's a that's 
this is the stepping stone into the next portion yeah. of what we're going to talk about in um before we get there um did did nick have to did was nick ever in a facility did nick ever have those type yeah, of he was i think he went two or three times um to rehab a couple times was we kind of forced him to he didn't really want to and you know if they don't want to get help then they're not going to or take it seriously um then the final time he put himself in well my mom took him um but he passed two days after getting out yeah so um like leading up so you're out now obviously it's clear he, there's a lot more going on than what you think when did you actually start to put the pieces together that it was that it had you know you had crossed over from this is you know like he was partying to there's an issue um i feel like once actually one of his friends uh girlfriend reached out to me and she because i was fighting with his friend um over shit, but she messaged me and she said all this stuff that he was doing so i confronted him about it because i was like you have kids um you didn't find out until like a couple weeks before he passed right so i found out he had issues with like xanax and stuff but yeah. i didn't find out about like the deep because i remember stuff. like yeah. right after he passed i asked her and she's like i didn't even really know he was doing all of this i think and that's what you said to me um you know, in the messages leading up, you know, to wanting to tell your story, you know, wanting to tell your story and wanting to tell Trent's story uh, that you didn't know that, you know, um, That's how he was like hiding it, you know, he was good. He was a good not saying that he was always lying to me, but he was very good at lying and hiding it for sure. Um, like one night I actually got out of work and he he didn't know that I got out of work early. So I went to go, he was living with his grandma. So I went to go pick up the girls from his grandma. Didn't see his car there. So I was like, okay, so where is he? I didn't ask his grandma. I just took the girls with me. I called him. I said, how are the girls? Like I was just acting like if I was still at work and he was like, oh, they're doing fine. They're, they're playing right now. And I was like, oh really? Cause they're in the car with me. And I was like, so what are you doing? And he like, he felt stupid. He he just hung up the phone on me because it sounds like my dad. Yeah, my dad was master manipulator. Mm -hmm. Like he, uh, there was a lot of times where he pulled that for sure, and that's what also caused our arguments as well. Okay, so and what about for Nick? Like, what was what was like the beginning stages of like this is no longer like um yeah. So he started off just by smoking weed, which was fine because yeah three out of the four siblings smoked and me and Nick would smoke together. Um, so it was just weed and we were just like, okay, he's just a big pothead. And then we were on a family vacation to the Smoky Mountains and my mom realized that her Xanax were missing. She's prescribed Xanax. Um, and then we found out that he stole them. And then, yeah, we just, so then we just found out that way that he was doing Xanax. Um, and then a couple years later, I found out from... He didn't tell me until after we broke up. So like the guy I was dating in high school. So Nick was probably 15, 16 years old. Um, he told me that when he he went to college in Michigan, when he came back home, he was buying Xanax off of my little brother. Oh, I lost my shit. I'm but sure. I didn't know. Like we didn't know that like he was doing it like that. We kind of just thought like, okay, I stole him. Like he's young. Like he 
He's experimenting. He's experimenting. And it's like the and then, always partying. Come, come to find out he's selling Xanax to my boyfriend. We were dating at the time. No, it was we broke up and then he was buying them. Um, so then that kind of opens that up. And then um, we just started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And we kind of just knew that like he was just. Things had progressed. Yeah, it was getting bad. Um, and then my two older siblings were out of the house already. So this is probably like the last three, four years of his life. Um, my mom was working all the time because we had my father who was in and out and she was paying for all of his mistakes and stuff that she, you know, bills and stuff. So my mom was always gone. My dad has always kind of just been absent there, but absent. Um, so it was just me and my little brother in the house. Um, so he was my best friend, but I was the one finding him and I kind of like, tried waking like my mom and like my siblings up like hey he has a problem like this is bad because i would walk in his room and he would be on the floor knocked out with a needle in his arm um so he had switched from xanax to heroin it was xanax and then well there was one time we were smoking in the garage and he brought up like him and i either brought up coke and we were kind of just talking about that and then he was like have you tried like anything else and i was like no and he was like, I've tried everything under the sun except for meth. And like, I didn't. Was dumbfounded. I, yeah. And I didn't really like think too much into it because I also was a teenager myself. And I was like, well, we're young. We're going to try things once. I mean, like, actually, no, <laughs> don't do that. But yeah, in the moment, I didn't really like, I wasn't worried, which I probably should have been. I think that was my first mistake. Um, but you didn't know. You're a teenager, too. Yeah. And again, and we're in the garage smoking. And I thought we were just like having a little like chat like, oh, yeah, I've tried this. Like, I've tried everything. And then next thing you know, I'm finding him in his room every night, calling the cops, trying to beg them to get him help. But if he refuses, he, refuses. he was probably 18 at the time because he didn't want to go and they would never find it. And yeah, so I. Yes, because he'd already done it. Yeah. You're not going to find... Oh. You can't well, find what's or, yeah. or my dad, the crack addict, who would dump it down the toilet to save him. And I'm like, you. why would you do that? Like, he needs help. Like, we need to get him help. So, yeah, I saw it. I lived through it every day. Yeah. And so... All right. So then um, let's, you know... I mean, I guess we're kind of avoiding the, the elephant in the room, you <laughs> For know? For sure. Um, and... I kind of know this story because I was with your brother. Oh, really? When, well, your brother, we were at work together. You're lying. Um, so I knew, I found out as your brother was finding out. Really? Uh-huh. What was um, his reaction? I his, I mean, as any, you know, I think every, I think everybody, you know. Everyone was shocked. I, I don't think, I mean, yeah, shocked that there was, you know, that it, Turn fatal, but we're absolutely. About you, right? I think it was more so like what was you know for yours, you know, because all right. So you get out of the facility. How much time between when you got out of your program and Trent passing away? How much time is there? It was like July, right, or June, June or July that yeah. you got out. Yeah. So and then Trent passed couple, away yeah, September. Like a couple in months. September. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I think, I don't I don't want to speak for your brother, but I think that was his main concern is, is like, you had just, you know, really gotten, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so leading up to the night that Trent passed away, yeah. what, um, 
had things gotten better or had you, I mean, had things gotten better between you or y'all, or had you noticed like that there was a, a, um, a change in again, like the behaviors. So with Trent, I feel like once I got out of Linden Oaks, um, he like was like, holy shit, I need to be there for her. Um, he automatically started, we didn't have like the co-parenting schedule like we should have. So he would, like I said, like off camera, he would only have them like for a day or so for a couple hours. So once I got out, I feel like he opened his eyes and realized, let me help her as much as I can. So he had them every weekend. Um, he had them Friday through Sunday, or he would have them Friday through Monday morning. He would take them to school. So it was either that. So he changed a lot. He was actually, once I told him about, because I actually lost my job when um, I was doing outpatient. So Mm -hmm. um, he actually was supportive. He was like, I, you know, I got you. Like, I'll pay for whatever you need. Like, um, just let me know if you need help with the girls more. And I was like, okay. Like, it was, I was like, okay, like weird because usually he wasn't like that. So seeing that like really just gave you hope yeah yeah which is crazy because i definitely could tell like he was doing so much better and that's then the next happens. thing you know he's overdosed yes. but that's what happens with fentanyl it's at one time mm-hmm. so do you think that it was more so that you know yes he was one yes he was putting forth the effort but then he had he was still struggling in himself yeah and that there was still the partying do you think and, like he was using less like or I feel, like trying to get better or like he's saying like he just was I f- see that's the thing till this day like you don't know I don't know and I remember you telling me that you didn't know and I remember um without okay I won't get I won't get to that we'll talk we'll get to that in a minute um but okay so it's the weekend and you drop your kids off to him correct yes so um Friday, come Friday, uh, it was September 15th, um, he picked up the girls from school. So I was working, so he picked up the girls from school. We were actually arguing that week because two days before he passed, he asked me for my Xanax because I am prescribed Xanax for my anxiety. He asked me for my Xanax because um, he was like, hey, like, I'll, I can sell these. Like, I... But I'm like, are you for sure going to sell them? Like, I was like, and that's where the guilt comes because I'm like, if I would have given him my Xanax, he would still be alive. Like, that was my main thing. Well, I I mean, so, so he'd be, he, yes and no to that. All right. We don't know that. And because here's the deal. As soon as those would have ran out, guess what he would have had to do? Find them more. He would have had to find more or he'd switch over. And honestly, we don't know that, you know. Um, we don't know that it was the Xana, you know what I'm saying? Right. There could have been a combination of things that could have. So I, I want to, um, affirm you in saying that you made the right decision in saying no to that. Um, because you weren't going to be able to, to control this, right? You can't yeah. blame yourself Mm-mm. and you can't think about what if I did this yeah, or didn't do this because you said no, right? Yeah. You told him no. To the I, I was no. And I said no. And I was like, I was like, dude, I'm working right now. Why are you calling me while I'm at work asking me for my Xanax? Like it was crazy. Like, so you're at work and then, and you guys have that. That's a couple days before he had the, the girls mm-hmm. and then he gets the girls Friday from school. And so Friday comes, um, 
I actually had this gut feeling like I was like something in me is telling me to call Trent. Like I, I had this gut feeling. I was like, I don't know why, but I need to call Trent. But then I was like, I don't want to risk fighting with him because we had fought like the whole week about the whole Xanax. Yes. So I was like, I don't want to fight with him. But like the gut was still like my gut was telling me something was wrong. I was like, should I call him? But then I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to call him. Um, so I went out with friends that, that night, um, got really drunk. Um, my friend, I stayed at my friends, so, um, I stayed at her house and then the morning of, I think it was like 6 a.m. or 7, um, not sure, got a call from his mom, haven't talked to her in months, so I don't even answer. And then I get a call from his grandma. So then that's when I got freaked out a little bit because I'm like, what happened to the girls or what's what happened with Trent. So I, I get a call. I get the call. Um, it, it wasn't his grandma. It was his mom on the other line. And she said, they found Trent. Um, they found Trent and he was, he's, he's gone. Um, and I just, I, I felt like I was still in bed, but like I got up and I was like, no, you're lying. And then I just say, I kept saying, no, you're lying. Like the shot came. I was like, no, you're lying. You're lying. He, and I just started screaming. Um, my friend actually, um, she lost the father of her child, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, so she was trying to be there for me, but she was also like triggered because I mean, she sure. got, yeah, she got the, she call. Experienced yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So she was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, I was screaming. I woke everyone in the house up. Like I, I've never screamed like that before. Um, I was like, okay, I'm on my way. Like, I, I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm like, maybe there's reviving him, maybe something like, I don't know. Like I had that hope, like maybe he, they can revive him. By the time I get there, my friend drives me because at this point I'm, I can't drive. I'm freaking out. I call my mom saying Trent's dead, Trent's dead. Um, and I call everyone that was close to me. Um, I told them Trent's dead. Like I was screaming, um, get to the scene. Um, the cops were there. Um, the ambulance had left because it was too late already. By the time they found him, he was far too gone. Um, I went in and the thing that's so, the thing that I think about every day is one of the cops that was on the scene, I knew him. Um, so when I saw him, I'm like, please let me see him. They weren't allowing anyone to go in the room. Um, so I was just inside, just hearing, just in shock, basically. Um, I was outside. Um, the coroner's office had came because they were going to obviously pick him up. But um, they were showing showing us, like, whippets. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, whippets. Um, there was whippets. They were, show they were like, do you know what this is? I'm like, I have no idea what that is. They said they found a syringe in his room. They found a spoon. They found residue. And then they showed me what looked to be like shrooms. I I was just screaming the whole time. Uh -huh. I was I 
I think about like it feels like it just happened yesterday. Um, I I was like, where are my kids? Like they were in the basement because obviously they didn't want. Um, well, my kid actually, so I didn't get to that. So my kids and his grandma found him. So that was the. Were thing. the girls at the house? Yeah, oh, yes. that he was at where he, he stayed with his grandma, and it was his weekend. Okay. So my kids found him. That was the last thing they saw. Their dad was him on the floor. And what's the sad part is that my daughter, um, she said, why was there a spoon in his room? And the ambulance tried to save him and he wouldn't wake up. So telling my kids that they're not going to see their dad anymore was the hardest thing. I had to ever go through because they loved going there. They loved spending time with him. So just telling, so basically, um, they get his body in, in the coroner's office, like van. Um, they interview me because I was, I was like, Maybe it could be this person. Maybe it can be this person. Because I had knew who was he was hanging out with. Like, I was like, I don't know who this can... I don't know. I don't... Like, For I was sure. just assuming because I was so angry. Um, And I basically... They had a, like, priest or whatever come. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I said, what do I tell my kids? He was like, I've never experienced this before. I... I don't know what to tell you. Um, so that also just didn't help. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I want to get in, I want to get into the after, you know, like now you're, you know, the therapy and, you know, the girls therapy and everything, Mm -hmm. but I, I want to slide over there to our good girlfriend, Isabel. And, um, I'd like for you to, to share if you can, um, Nick's, um the lead up and everything so i would say i didn't really hear from him that much for two years leading up to his passing because he was far gone and he met a girl um assuming she probably used to no she was a cna oh wow i don't know what her deal was because how do you get in a relationship and let this person move in. He's my brother and I love him, but what's wrong with you to where you're, I don't know if she was feeding it to him because she was using him or what, but he had a car. So maybe they were like just using his car, but she was a CNA seemed like a good person. Um, yeah. Um, he got her pregnant and then she lost the baby and two weeks later she's pregnant again. And I'm like, he's high every day. It just didn't make sense. So whatever. He moved in with her and I didn't really speak to him that much. Um, But we knew he was bad. We would try to reach out to him. We wouldn't hear from him or he would here and there say stuff to us. Um, But then I think the girlfriend might have reached out to my mom and we got him to go to rehab. He wanted to go. He went. Um, And then he got kicked out of rehab and he texted me and it was just me and my mom at the house and he asked me if I could pick him up because 
or no, he was in rehab. He went to a halfway home, but it was in a really bad part of Chicago. Um, and they kicked him out because I guess he got in a fight with someone over something petty. Um, so he was just out on the streets and he asked me for a ride. And I was angry at this point. I was so mad. I was like, I mean, dude, what the heck? You're my young brother. You were my best friend. I was catching you like doing this all the time. Like I would try to help you. I literally went in his room one night and begged him to let me go get him help. Like I would pay for it. And that I promised him like, you know, like I'll get you out of here soon. Like, let me just start working. I'll buy an apartment for us. And then you don't talk to me for two years. I barely hear from you for two years, but now you need me to come in the middle of the night to pick you up from Chicago. And I didn't. Um, and then people, rumors say that he got picked up by a horrible person, a person we knew was involved in all of this. Um, he shows up at the house. My dad shows up at the house after being gone on his little bender. Um, and they all just like were fighting or, you know. So your I, dad, the person that picked up Nick and They Nick. weren't together. I don't oh. know where my dad was. I don't really know. Oh, okay. But he. No, but I'm saying they're all at the house. No, no. I don't know how Nick got back to the house, but he got back to the house. Okay. And cool. then my dad ended up just being back at the house at the same time. And Fate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Recipe for disaster. Exactly. But I was sick of it. I was like, this is so exhausting. I've been dealing with this for 20 years of my life or not 20. I mean, probably like, you know, most of my life, like seeing it through my dad and we're just letting this man come in and out. And now my brother's in trouble, but it's all fighting. And the three of my mom's screaming at both of them. And I was like, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I mentally can't do this anymore. And I've been through my own mental stuff. Um, so I kind of just told my mom, I was like, it's either them or me. And she obviously told them they have to go. So my dad got a motel room. Uh, thank you. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he got a hotel motel room for them. And um, my dad was working. I don't know how this man had jobs or how he was so quick to get jobs in and out of jail and stuff. And they always gave him his job back. Manipulator. A master manipulator. Sure. Um, and Nick is where at this time? He's in the motel. Oh, he's in the motel with yeah. your dad. And come to find out, there's more. There's, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, so my dad, he was heading home from work. And I guess he had a weird feeling, had a gut feeling. Like, I'm going to call Nick and just be like, oh, like, what do you want me to pick up for dinner? Or I guess my brother was really excited because he wanted tacos for dinner. And my dad was going to call and be like, oh, like, how many do you want? Because he knew. He was just like, I need to call him. Like, I have this weird feeling. I need to call him. So he calls him, doesn't answer from him. So my dad's speeding back to the motel room. Um, and he found him in the bathroom with the throw up and just. He OD'd. Yeah, he OD'd. Um, so my dad is trying to save him. I found out I was, what is it going to get me? Um, I was home alone. My mom was at work. My two older siblings have already been moved out. I was sitting on my laptop in my living room and I left my phone downstairs, which like I normally don't, but like I think like I just like was so focused on like I was like, I need to focus on school. I was finishing massage school. Um, I had my finals and my state exam shortly uh, coming up. So I'm sitting on my laptop. I had it on Do Not Disturb. My phone's downstairs in my bedroom. Um, just sitting on my laptop in the Zoom because it was COVID. Um, yeah. Good old COVID. Good old COVID. 
let's blame COVID because you know the death rates for and overdose addiction, went addiction up a shit ton. Sorry, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do all the time. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so I was on Zoom and I had my laptop on Do Not Disturb, and then I was like, I'm just gonna check over. And my sister, I saw I had missed calls from my older sister. So my oldest, I have an oldest brother, older brother. He's the oldest, and then my sister, and then me, and then Nick. Um, and I had a lot of missed calls from her, and she just said nine one one emergency, like call me. And my heart literally sank, and I knew it was my brother, which is. I, I knew. Um, so I ran to my phone and I sat on my bed and I just called her back and I said, please don't tell me Nick's dead. Or no, I said, she was like, Isabel, I need to talk to you. And I was like, don't tell me Nick's dead. And she said, Nick's dead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. And I freaked out. I just, I scream and I didn't even hang up on her. <laughs> I just ran and I was home alone. And the only thing I knew what to do was just run to my neighbor's house. Like I woke up like um, this older couple who lived next door because I didn't know what else to do. I was alone. And I just started screaming that my brother was dead. <laughs> um, yeah, then her boyfriend, my sister's boyfriend picked us up and we had to go to the hospital. And my oldest brother went to my mom's work to go tell her. And he didn't tell her at work. He just said, you need to get in the car. We need to go. And they sat us in, like, the family room at the hospital. And the doctor came in. And he was like, you know, we have to, like, test and see if he's brain dead. Um, he goes, you know, like, he and I, like, kind of, like, snapped on the doctor. And I was like, how long did his brain go without oxygen? And he said, we don't know, at least 45 minutes. And I said, how long can the brain survive without oxygen? Because he was trying to give us his hope. And I kind of just snapped and just said, don't sit here and try to give me false hope because I know he's gone. But we had to sit for a day until they confirmed that he was dead, which is crazy because her Trent passed two days after the anniversary of my brother passing. And I lost it when she told me about Trent. And I went to middle school with Trent, so I knew him. You kept, like, you were not leaving me alone. Like, you were, like... I was begging her to let me come. I was, like, one, you, I know what you're going through, and two, like, I need you, too. Like, you don't understand. Like, I need that support. But anyway, so I found out the next day they officially declared him brain dead. So they had put him on life support? Yeah, so he was on the machines and everything, and we didn't know, but he was an Oregon donor. Um... So we were able to see him for five days until they took him for the operation. Yeah. So, you know, um, well, first off, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. I know that it's tough and I want you to know that um, it is my goal with this podcast in each episode to um, make sure that this gets out to everyone that it possibly now y'all are gonna get me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't even cry during to tell my old story. I haven't even like I mean, but I was telling you earlier, it was I also I just felt so alone and I didn't see my friends because I felt like a burden and I didn't want to be looked at as the girl who lost her brother and I didn't want to make people feel awkward hanging out with me because what would we talk about? And there's an elephant in the room. But my mom was never really a mother and so I never have her to like cry on or and she wasn't home either because she 
had a boyfriend, so she was with him or she was working all the time. My older brother was married with two kids. My sister has been moved out with her boyfriend and I was alone. And I never really, I don't talk about my family and my childhood either. So I feel like if any of people I know see this, they're going to be really shocked by this because I always put on the humor and the class clown or the smile. And you would never know that I had the childhood that I had or the things that I've seen with my dad and my brother. So, yeah. So this is therapy because I haven't, I don't talk about it. And I haven't had someone to listen So I think that's important. Um, I want to let you know that I am grateful that you were willing to do this. Um, And for those that don't know, um, actually, Isabel was actually only supposed to be here as support. support. (laughs) I was supposed to be behind the camera. (laughs) And then it was literally five minutes before we started. The producers were setting up and everything. And then she's like, ah, fuck it, I'll do it. I mean, because I also, it's like, I need this too. And like, I, if I can help someone, I want to help someone and I want to save a life. And I think that was your goal, right? Mm-hmm. So um, really quick, you know, as we're winding towards the end of the episode, again, I can't thank you enough for being able to share a story, right? Um, and I I hope that I allowed you enough time to build up to it because yeah. um, I, I, obviously, the meat of this episode is this right here because it is a raw reality of addiction, right? Addiction sucks. Addiction (laughs) sucks. And not everybody makes it to this side. Right. Mm -hmm. And and it's a multifold, right? Um, But are we both in therapy? Yeah. So I started like, I didn't want to go to therapy once Trent passed. um, But then my mom saw how I was. Everyone saw how I was. So they were like, no, you need to get help because you just, went into Linden a couple months ago and now this like how you said so you're actively in therapy yeah are the girl you I think you told me the girls are in therapy now so the girls were in therapy um but it I feel like they were too overwhelmed with it so we took a break they're on a break sad little kids oh and and it's so and it's weird because you say three and five year old and and for those that haven't necessarily dealt with this in a more like in a up close thing you know what you see on the news and what you you know you read in articles that's one thing sure you do get a picture and it does kind of you know it breaks your heart but when you have to live it like you know even isabel doesn't have you know like seeing your kids going way back to like in the beginning when you said how you want to um like humanize the addicts i went on a date a couple weeks ago and if i see a homeless person ever since my brother passed i've even like looked at my dad differently because i hated him growing up i was he was just a crackhead to me like you know like he was just a criminal but then my brother passing and actually watching the show euphoria like that really opened my eyes to addiction and um beautiful boy the movie mm-hmm. because in a euphoria they definitely they explain like why she's doing it and how she feels and how it's an escape. So that kind of really helped me like understand why my brother was doing it because I totally understood. I got it because our life sucked. His life sucked. Um, but yeah, and so this definitely like changed my eyes because now like, I see a homeless person, I'm giving them chain or money if I can. If I have cash on me, I'm giving it to them. But I went on a date and we walked into where we were going because I don't want the person to know I'm talking about him. <laughs> um, but 
there was a homeless man outside and I kind of like, I didn't really, I saw him, but then I walked in and I walked right out. I didn't even tell the guy that I was like walking back out, but I walk out and I gave him like five bucks and the guy made like an asshole comment. Like he's just going to go buy a crack, a crack sandwich with that. And I was like, he's a human too. So, yeah, um, I think that it's, um, so I, I don't know that you'll like what I'm about to say. I, as A, somebody that's been homeless before and B, been an addict, I believe in buying folks things yeah. um, versus giving them money. I couldn't um, <laughs> in this situation. I no, couldn't. I and I get that. And I'm not shooting it like that's your way and my way. So like, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm fully support. I'm a full, I'm a big supporter of, you know, what works for me isn't going to necessarily yeah. work for you and what works for you won't necessarily work for me. And I usually use that in terms as uh, for people that are in recovery or just getting in recovery. Um, but in this, and it goes the same way, you yeah. know, like you did what you could in that minute yeah. because that's what it does. And when you lose somebody or even when you are, when somebody that you love does get sober, like yeah. my family has an outlook on recovery and addiction that they didn't have before I was able to get clean. Um, so yeah, you know, and I think that you're, you're right. It does open your eyes to different right. thing. And I think that you'll learn over time. And I tell this to everybody because it, it was really big in my recovery process. Forgiveness is 90% about you and 10% about the person that you are forgiving, right? Because it really, you know, the forgiveness is what helps you release that anger. Right. So I hope that, uh, uh, you know, throughout the process that you, you, some way can do that for your own good yeah. not for your father's good right like he's grown right yeah. and you want him to you you would love for him to be better right. you would love for him to be sober right. but for your own good yeah no know? but i definitely i'm definitely a um like an em empathetic person, person? Sure. yeah exactly so like even before like my brother passed like i still was like i felt bad for my dad because i knew his childhood too mm -hmm. and i know i and uh, I hated him, but at the same time, I was like, that's my dad. And also, like, I feel so bad for him because, like, this isn't a life you want to live. Like, this, you know. Like, so I, I still, like, had that soft side of me. And if my dad, like, asked to, like, go to rehab, like, I would and take him. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's the best that you can do. Yeah. For the day that that phone call comes, that's that's where, you know, what it is. But I'm also a firm believer in boundaries, right? Not yeah. saying that you don't have to, not that folks shouldn't interact. And I think it's very important for people um, that are, uh, that have loved ones that are in addiction, not just you, but everyone, you know, that are in addiction is, is that it's okay. First off, never stop loving a person, right? Right. Um, and, but it's okay to set boundaries. And I follow this lady, um, her name's Brandy Mack on TikTok. And her daughter um, has struggled with addiction and, you know, she's now um, doing um, MAT, which is medically assisted treatment. So like Suboxone and those types of things for um, opioids. And um, she says like her, like in her bio, it's like, do what you can live with. Right. Right. And I think that's such a great concept that when it comes to dealing with somebody that we love and care about that is battling with substance use disorder is that we have to do what we can live with, but also do it with boundaries. Right. And, and not like, Oh, I'm only doing this. If you get sober, 
that's not the type right. of boundary what I'm talking. The boundaries that I'm talking about are, yes, you can come here and take a shower. Oh, I would never let my dad live with me. Yeah. I would never like that's let him boundary, borrow my right? car. But if he showed up and you were and he said, "Can I take a shower?" I'm like, yes, you could take a shower. You know what I'm saying? You can't necessarily bring your bag in because I don't want you to do drugs in my house. Right. But you can come in and you can take a shower. I'll wash I'll your give clothes you something to eat. and I'll give you something yeah. to eat. Those are safe boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, and that's most important. Um, I do want to touch on something the three of us all kind of fell out about is that we all shared the same um, video. Um, I don't mind. I got it off of TikTok. Um, I'm Instagram. I love, Instagram. I love Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll. I love jelly Roll, Roll and his wife. Uh, amazing and that is what people need They're to do so with humble. their platform they are so yeah humble. for somebody that just kind of blew up and like really hit uh, uh you know is i just watched the grammys and they were at the grammys and to see them and know their story um and jelly roll got an opportunity to go to capitol hill and um testify in front of congress about um the um anti-fentanyl bill mm -hmm. right he said the statistic that he gave is that 190, and I checked it, it's true, 190 people a day, a day. die from overdoses. I don't, he's, it was like 70 or 80 some percent was fentanyl related. Mm -hmm. And then I went a bit further to see the statistic of like the accidental portion of it. Um, and it, it, they don't really give you the clear number of what's accidental because you can't never really tell if, you know, like, oh, I took this and, you know, I wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, was it? But neither here nor there. 190 people a day die um, from overdoses. And the analogy that he gave to that was is that that is enough, that is the same, about the same amount of people that get onto a 730, or 737, like a commercial airline jet, right? An air, airplane. If that was crashing into a building, if an airplane was crashing every day, the media coverage that we would see oh, would sure. be astronomical. Yeah. But we have the same problem, right? We have the same the the same amount of people are dying every day yeah. from overdoses, and and um, the vast majority of them are from fentanyl overdoses. That's a that that's the what we need the media cover for. So I wanted today, and that's why today's episode was named um, the uh, the cost of the fentanyl crisis because that's where. Yeah, go ahead. So when Trent passed, obviously we didn't know the reason at first. We just thought probably heroin or something because of the needle. We didn't know. So once we got his. Um, tests back because they did the toxicology uh, yes, report they did the toxicology report um it came back with fentanyl with xanax so the thing that i didn't know was that you can melt it and shoot it up mm -hmm. and they said that they found like a, a track mark on his right arm so that's the thing that obviously i didn't know who would know to look at someone's arm that you don't even know that they're even shooting up i found out what like a month ago or two months ago well yeah because she when he first passed she was asking me and i was like girl you can do this this and this like with it because she didn't know because like you also didn't really know like a lot about it, a yeah. lot of what he was doing too but right yeah. like i found out like i was telling isabel i was like dude i just found out like he had needles in his drawer and he was shooting yeah. up coke well, and i'm like 
I didn't know that he was even doing that with the girls around <laughs> or I didn't even know he probably I don't know what he was doing, but with the girls around or when they were sleeping. But I was like, holy shit, like I didn't know it was that deep. And like I showed you on his like 2023 list, it said the first thing that was on there was no alcohol, no pills. And I think that was so, um, so crazy um, that, you know, those goals. And I said that to you, to people that um, aren't struggling with some type of struggles those would have been like very obscure and like huh goals but for those of us that a have dealt with family members that are struggling or that struggled or b for you who was there real and real time um those were major goals right mm -hmm. um and sadly it was that one thing. And that's the thing is only takes once you said two days after Nick got out of rehab and you know what Nick probably thought, and they used to tell us this when we were in treatment that, you know, when you go back out there, what'll kill you is to think that you can do what you did before you came to treatment. Right. Yeah. And well, someone purposely gave him the fentanyl heroin. Yeah. So. And, and that's the sad reality of it, too. And the cartels and um, like the actually purpose, like someone he knew they purposely did it to him. That's and people are disgusting. Yeah, people are that. And, and you know, the cartels are, are pushing it. And I try to tell people. So in my day job, I um, really am leading up to harm reduction initiative. And I believe that, you know, we shouldn't tell, you know, you shouldn't constantly beat somebody with you need to go to treatment. You need to get sober because honestly, if they're not there, you're sending, you're wasting their time, your time hopes are getting up and it's only going to make them. And then you're, you know, so what we can do is work to build, meet them where they're at, build a relationship with them and do harm reduction. Um, you know, you can go to any Chicago public library and get fentanyl testing kits as well as you can get Narcan. Yep. And I suggest even if you're not a drug user, but your friends like to party and partake in extracurricular activities, that you go get you not only a fentanyl testing kit, but get you a couple doses of Narcan. Yep. And here's the deal with Narcan. If someone's to fall out and you know that they do partake in the extracurricular activities, but you don't know if they did in that moment, you can still give them Narcan yep. and it's not going to do anything to them. Yep. But if they aren't overdosing, it'll save their life. Exactly. And that one dose yes. will let them hold on long enough for the ambulance to get there and them to get to the hospital yep. and potentially it will save their life. Mm -hmm. So I believe in that and I believe in meeting folks where they're at. So I would rather build a relationship with you, giving you fentanyl testing strips and giving you Narcan and making sure that you're doing whatever you're going to do mm -hmm. with or without me, that you do it safely. Exactly. Yeah. And then should there come a time where you're ready to have the conversation about recovery and treatment, you trust me enough to have that conversation and then I can help you navigate that process. And that's the thing too was with Trent, that's what we would argue about is I found out what he was doing um, with like the Xanax and stuff. And I was like, you need to get help. You need to get help. Like I was pushing it. I was, I was being a bitch to him. I was just like, you need to get help. I do not want to see you go down that path. Um, and his friend even told me recently, like he went to rehab. Um, he offered Trent to come with him to rehab. Trent didn't want to also Trent's grandma and his aunt offered him rehab. He did not want to. So, 
You definitely have to be at that point. Mm -hmm. Like it has to they be have a to point. Get to that point by themselves. Mm -hmm. And you have to hit rock bottom. My rock bottom was that my mom and my sister um, had cut me off and my sister sent me. I actually have it, you know, because um, she was able to actually go back in her Facebook messages and um, she sent it to me. And it's like, you guys can see this is how long the Facebook message was. Yeah. And that was the last message that she sent me. And she made it clear that that would be the last message that she sent me. Um, until I could either get it together or she buried me. And, um, then here I am nine Which and a half, awesome. nine and a half years later. I'm um, very proud and happy that you're here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so again, um, to anyone out there struggling, um, understand that there is hope. Um, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. There are ways out. You're not alone. And, for those that aren't ready for treatment, understand um, that there are ways that you can do what you're going to do and do it safely. Um, again, like I said, you can go to, if you're in Chicago, you can go to any public library in the city of Chicago and get fentanyl testing strips in Narcan. Um, and yeah, we just, I guess we hope that everybody reaches the point um, so that we don't have to have episodes like this. But to both of you, thank you so much for coming on. I know this wasn't easy. Um, I know um, that A, this is probably their first time to actually publicly talk about it and B, yeah. it's so, so, so new for you. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate that so and it's it. so, uh, it means a lot to me and I'm sure that it's gonna mean a lot to those that um, yeah. watch it. It's important, this is an important it's thing very... and I encourage you both to continue on um, telling the story every chance that you get, um, do Facebook lives. I suggest, you know, TikToks re revolved around it. It's, um, it's going to make sure that Trent and Nick, um, not only does their, does a legacy live on behind them of their <laughs> sister, their, their sister and, um, their mother, the mother of their children carrying on that legacy to say, you know, they didn't die in vain and that you're gonna do everything humanly possible to make sure that nobody else has to go through it. And the thing is, sorry to cut you off, but oh, that he, got me. <laughs> he brought two kids in this world. So I think that was also hard for me seeing them. Like I see his face every day. I, I feel him when I hug them. Mm -hmm. So his legacy, like one of his friends actually reached out and he said, I love seeing pictures of them because his legacy lives on with them. Absolutely. My, my brother had a baby one week before he died. He met his son one time. Yeah. And then he died. And so keep fighting the good fight. Keep sharing the story. Keep telling the story. Thank you so much for coming on. I'd thank like to thank everybody for um, tuning in today. Uh, really quickly, as I always do, you can find us on Twitter and um, Instagram at Next Fix Podcast. Um, please go like, follow, and share. You can also watch the audio and video version of this episode and all of my episodes at on YouTube at NextFix12. At Next That's right, at Next Fix 12 If you are out there and you don't know where to get resources, 
um, no matter what those resources are, resources are, whether it be substance treatment, uh, substance abuse treatment, whether it be mental health treatment, no matter where you are in the country. Um, if you reach out to me at nfpodcast11 at gmail.com, you can do it anonymous, anonymously or you can give your name and contact info. I will research um, services that you may be needing in your region and area and get back to you as soon as possible. As I always say, you know, it's very important. I am very grateful for the platform that I have been given. Um, I thank you all and I thank everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week for the next episode.